Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. All right. Well, I am very excited to be here with my colleague, Kylie Mitchell. Kylie, welcome to Emotion Well. Thank you, Johanna. I'm really excited to be a part of the podcast for the very first time. Um, so, yeah. 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 Well, you hear a lot about it because I talk about it a lot. So it's exciting to have you as one of my guests. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very excited. So um, would love to share a bit about myself yes. uh, before we get started. So I graduated from Grandview University here in Des Moines, Iowa in, I want to say 2016. And so um, for about two years before I graduated, that's kind of been the start of my introduction into working in wellness. And I spent a lot of time teaching group fitness um, and group fitness classes is kind of my intro into the wellness industry. And I've spent some time as a wellness um, specialist and an exercise specialist in a local um place in downtown Des Moines where I taught group fitness again there and I personal trained and and did a bit of what you would consider corporate wellness like um, doing some different wellness challenges and campaigns and things Um, but um, what I did after that was I actually did some health coaching which is really exciting for me to to get to talk about our topic today Um, you know getting to set goals with with people and um, make and break habits, things like that. Um, so I, I would say I've had about four years in experience of working with people on setting goals and, and making new habits. So we're really excited to talk about that topic. Um, from there, before I joined EFR, I spent some time with the American Lung Association. So I do have some background in tobacco prevention and tobacco control. Um, and then I've, I found myself here and I'm really, really glad to be here and, and love the work that we do. Yeah, well, it's it's exciting to have you on the podcast. I always love to, you know, speak with people who have similar interests and passions and work experiences. And we've known each other since before you worked with me at EFR. So as you mentioned, you went to Grandview and I was an adjunct there. And so you were in one of my classes a long, long time ago. <laughs> and we also, a fun fact for our listeners, we also both teach well, we used to, we're retired now, pound the rock out workout. So if, if you're uh, familiar with the, their green drumsticks and it's actually a really fun workout. It I, is super I, fun. It is so fun. <laughs> and we can talk a little bit about that later because today we're talking about health goals and just general, you know, healthy, sustainable approaches to New Year's resolutions and goal setting and healthy living. And when I think about pound, you know, I think about it was a really fun workout and what motivated a lot of the people to my classes was that they really enjoyed it. And so we'll talk a little bit about the importance of really liking what you do and uh, how we can kind of retrain the brain to think differently about our New Year's resolutions. So this is our first podcast of the new year and it is, uh, you know, 2023. And a lot of people use this as an opportunity to set a big goal or resolution. And I think we've both personally done that, but also just with the work we do, we witness a lot of these goals and resolutions. And then we also witness a lot of the frustrations and pitfalls and, um, you know, things that get in the way of, of reaching them. So 
you know, let's talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions to kick off the entire conversation. And when you think about your work experiences, do you feel like people approach resolutions? And I hate to use the word strategically because it just sounds so, so boring, but do you feel like people use a real thoughtful, well-planned out approach to the resolutions and goals that they set in the new year? Uh, I, I think that's a really great question to start out with. And and I think, unfortunately, the answer is is no. Um, when we just think about our own human experience and, and even thinking about the own goals and new year's resolutions we set, often I think we think about, you know, those biggest dreams and those biggest desires that we have. And and what's that end result that we want? And we think about what are the results versus what is it going to take to get us there? Yeah. And that what it takes to get us there is, is really that strategic part. And I think for a lot of us, it's the piece that's missing. Yeah. I think we were talking the other day about how it, like you said, it's what you want versus how you're going to get there, or it's outcome focused versus the process. And so I'm just going to throw out an example that I think is common this type of time of year, and that's weight loss. So, you know, and I'm going to just make up and, you know, a number. So I want to lose 20 pounds. That, that could be someone's New Year's resolution. I want to lose 20 pounds. And I think they're so focused on how close they are to 20 pounds. And that can be both motivating, but also a barrier because for some people it happens really quickly and for others, it takes a long time. And it's, what are those small steps that you're going to be taking to get you from where you are today to what your, you know, desired outcome is going to be. So in our profession and for, and for our listeners, I, I feel very confident saying that this is not the first place you're going to hear this, but in our profession, we talk about smart goal setting, smart goals. And so SMART goals are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. And, you know, when you really lay the groundwork for a goal or a resolution, if you follow that SMART mentality or that SMART planning, it can be really helpful, right? So um, to lose 20 pounds isn't a SMART goal, right? But how could we make that a SMART goal? you know, I'm going to walk every day for 30 minutes in order to lose 20 pounds by, and then this is the really important part is having a realistic time frame or timeline. And mm -hmm. so, you know, is it realistic to have that done in one month, in three months, in six months, in 12 months, whatever that might be. Um, but I think smart goal setting can be applied to, you know, any kind of behavior change. And I'm curious to know if that's something when, especially when you were health coaching, did you set a lot of smart goals with your clients? That was usually the main framework that okay. we would take is, is to take the smart goals. And, and you can really think about smart goals as breaking down your, your outcome goals, right? The, I want to lose 20 pounds and breaking it into the process of eating more fruits, eating more vegetables, exercising. That's really the process of what's going to lead to that weight loss. And you can build that into that smart goal. Yeah. I also think knowing the why is really important. You know, why are you wanting to lose 20 pounds or why are you looking to quit smoking or why do you want to, you know, start sleeping more? Uh, and then also 
thinking outside of the traditional, you know, physical dimension of well-being. So at EFR, we believe in multiple dimensions of well-being with the emotional well-being as the foundation of total well-being. And so, you know, what if this year for someone, their goal is to use their EAP benefit or to have a, their first counseling session or to get back into counseling if they were once, you know, working on something. And so uh, if you're listening and you're thinking about setting something or that you've set something and you're kind of questioning if it was the right goal or approach for you, there's always time to change. And I think that's another important thing is that people can be really strict and rigid about whatever it is that they want to do. And I think that can be a big barrier. So if something's not working after week two, instead of just kind of throwing it all away or all, you know, to the side, what if you decide, okay, maybe it's, uh, maybe exercise shouldn't be my goal. Maybe it should be something more aligned with sleep or addressing emotional well-being or, you know, connecting with a friend and having an accountability partner. So uh, wherever you are today, it's okay. If it's not working, you can always change the course. And then another thing we've talked about a lot is the sustainability factor. And so do you want to explain that to our listeners? Like what, what does it mean for something to be sustainable? Yeah. So you can think about it as, you know, when, when you do set a goal, are you setting a goal around something that you plan to do and perform for essentially the rest of your life? Is this something that you're going to be able to do for the long term? Whereas I think another maybe pitfall or a place where where we fall into trouble is we want to find those quick fixes. And, and I think weight loss is, is kind of an easy example for a lot of these. But if you were wanting to lose weight and you decided you were going to follow a specific diet, whether it was the keto diet you saw or Adkins or Whole30, um, you may look at it and say, well, I could do this for X amount of time and lose X amount of weight, but is that something you'll be able to sustain after you reach that weight loss goal to be in order to sustain that weight loss goal and, and keep it right for the rest of your life? So think about the goals that you are wanting to adopt. Um, well, the goals that you want and the habits that you'll adopt in order to get there, are there, they the things that you're going to keep for the rest of your life? Are yeah. they sustainable? Because I think oftentimes people can reach whatever their desired outcomes are through whatever process they've selected. But then once they reach the weight loss goal and then they don't want to stay on the whole 30 eating mm -hmm. plan and they might not just abandon it all at once, but over time, you know, they move farther and farther away from the process that got them to reach their desired outcome. And then a year or two later, you have to reset and go, well, that's my new desired outcome is what I reached, mm -hmm. you know, two years ago. So, yeah, I think that, uh, and I hate to use weight loss consistently as an example, but it, I think it is a really common new year's resolution. So I, I think it could also be very helpful to a lot of our listeners. But when I was working at Drake university, uh, I worked with a lot of people one-on-one -on, -one on just, you know, behavior changes related to physical physical health and well-being. And so weight loss came up, wanting to exercise more came up, tobacco cessation came up a few times. Uh, but with, with regard to weight loss, I heard from a lot of people 
you know, I want to get back to my weight when I graduated from high school or college or when I got married, or I want to be the weight I was when I was 30 and now they're turning 50. And I remember just thinking, oh, you know, that, you know, especially as, as you age, things change, your metabolism changes, uh, there, you know, you have a genetic makeup that you're going to look, you know, a certain way. And I used to always, you know, say to people, you know, when was the last time you weighed this? And do you think you could have that lifestyle again? Or, you know, are you going through menopause? Are you, um, now in a different place with your kind of work life, your home life? So, and I kind of feel, I, I look back at, at the person I was when I was coaching people through these lifestyle changes. And I just didn't have an understanding of what it was like to balance a family and a career because I had a career, you know, I didn't have children at the time. And so I remember trying to brainstorm with people about when they could sneak exercise in. And I do remember thinking, I just don't understand how you, you know, can't find 30 minutes a day. And now fast forward to, you know, being, a parent and sometimes struggling to find 30 minutes a day. And so I think if you're someone looking to work with a coach, sometimes it can be helpful if your coach can relate to your life experiences. Um, and if you are a coach, just keep in mind that everyone has different circumstances and life experiences, but I think there's so many factors. So one, um, uh, is your goal taking you back to a, a time in your life that's no longer, you know, achievable? Um, are you trying to, look away or have a body type that genetically is very unlikely. So, so many things go into that. Um, do you want to share any goals or resolutions you've set in your life that have been successful or have not been successful? One that I have set over and over and over again, and, and this goes down to, you know, making sure that you're, you're working on a goal that is, that is helpful for you and, and you're, you're going about it in the right way. Um, I have had a difficult time over the years of going to bed in my own bed. Oh. <laughs> and I know this sounds really silly, <laughs> um, but I would always end up falling asleep on my couch. And then yeah. my husband would come and he would wake me up and say, time to go to bed. And then I would go and, <laughs> and walk into my bed. And so it's such a silly um, goal, but I love to share it because it's not necessarily, it's related to health, um, yeah, but it's absolutely. not weight loss or, or food or exercise, but um I'm not perfect. Um, and that just goes to show too, that, you know, goals take several months and, and sometimes years in order to get to a place where you feel content with, with where you're at. I, I go to bed way more, um, in my bed, um, on a regular basis than I ever have in my life, but it, it has taken a lot of time to figure out, okay, maybe don't lay on the couch. <laughs> if you're right. feeling tired, you know, you're going to fall asleep you know, go walk into your bed, um, or your bedroom, you know, go get ready for bed and fall asleep. Um, so setting out, you know, what was, what was my barrier before? Um, well, I would just lay on the couch, right. And I would either watch TV or I'd be reading a book or, and I would notice myself dazing off or dozing off. And I'd be like, well, it's okay. I'll get woken up and I'll go to bed. I was comfortable yeah. with it. Um, until, you know, you kind of understand, and, and you mentioned this, Johanna, it was the why is a big part. And you know, when I was younger, even in my early twenties, I could fall asleep on the couch and it wouldn't hurt, you know, my back or my shoulders. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so my why is it's really, it's really connected to me a bit more now. And it, it, it 
it you know connects to me more and i say well i'm i'm in my 30s now and when i do sleep on the couch or fall asleep you know my my hip starts to feel a little little bad or my low back starts to hurt and i'm like well this is why you go lay in your big girl bed <laughs> so it's it's a cute goal um that i've worked on and a new year's resolution i've worked on for a while and and it's taken me years i will say and i still fall asleep sometimes on the couch but again it's even though that maybe feels like a failure and maybe i've beaten myself over up over it over you know some of the years i don't anymore and and i'm um, happy and content with where I am now in that goal. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I, I love that example because it is just kind of out of the ordinary and very specific to you, right? Um, not everyone would need to set that goal, but you nope. have identified something that you want to change, why you want to change it. And like you said, most of the time now you fall asleep in your bed, uh, but it's, you're not perfect, right? It's not 100% of the time. I just read an email before we started recording uh, about something along the lines of goal setting. And, and it was like, don't focus on 100% of the time, you know, focus mm -hmm. on most of the time. And so if 80% of the time you're falling asleep in your bed, that's, you know, that's a huge improvement from maybe where you were five years ago, seven years mm -hmm. ago. Um, I, one year I set a goal to try new foods. I was just wanting to be adventurous and wanting to get kind of out of a rut of cooking the same things and eating the same things. And so I set a goal and this was probably 10 years ago now. So the details are a little fuzzy, but I think my goal initially was to try 50 new foods in, you know, I think it was 2014 maybe. And after I thought about it, I was like, Ooh, that's, you know, almost one new food a week that could mm -hmm. get, that could get tricky. And so I scaled it back to, I believe it was 25 new foods that year. So, you know, two a month plus one. Right. And mm -hmm. I was able to do it and it was fun. And, you know, a lot of the things I tried weren't things that I necessarily, uh, included in my meal planning or in my lifestyle permanently, but it was fun to try it. Uh, and so for people wanting to maybe eat differently, instead of setting a goal around the number of fruits and veggies you're getting, or, um, you know, maybe doing meatless Mondays, uh, just think about what could you do differently, trying new foods, um, you know, shopping, you know, the perimeter of the store versus in the aisles, you could, uh, you know, commit to trying one new recipe a week, something like that. So I think you can also be creative with, you know, your goals. So your goal is really a sleep goal, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. But you focus more on where you fell asleep versus the number of hours of sleep you were getting a night. Uh, another year I set a reading goal. I really like reading. And I think my goal was to read one book a month and I didn't reach it. I ended up reading 10 books that year. And I really wanted the following year to set, you know, the same goal. I really want to read 12 books this year, one book a month. And so I kind of took it a step further and I identified some of the reasons why I wasn't able to reach it the year prior. And a lot of that was just time spent doing things that weren't meaningful or just, you know, time spent browsing, you know, browsing social media, watching shows that weren't that interesting or that I wasn't that into. And so I identified, you know, 
when I would read, I think I got my first library card that year. And then that year I read 20 books, you know, so I exceeded my, my goal. And so I think, you know, it's okay to have the same goal year after year. And it sounds like your goal is one of those that you just kind of carry over year after year and learning from our goals and learning from the things that got in the way or the things that helped us, I think is really, really important. Mm -hmm. So, so along those lines, um, tell our listeners about habit stacking and how habit stacking can help you reach goals. Yeah. So habit stacking is something I learned from my husband after he read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And so it essentially states we already have a lot of habits in our lives, whether we realize it or not, because we often take them for granted, whether it's brushing our teeth or maybe you have a morning cup of coffee or tea. Um, And it essentially states if you want to add a new habit into your life to stack it with a habit you already have. And the reason this works is because like your brain makes these connections with the habits you already have. And so it's ingrained, right? You do it automatically and you don't even think about it. And so if you add a habit you want um, to add into your life and you stack it with a habit you already have, you're more likely to do it because you're already doing that, that previous habit. So for example, as I said, maybe you brush your teeth every morning. Um, maybe for some of us, we don't. But if that is a habit you currently have, you could say that after you brush your teeth, you would insert a new habit. Maybe you wanted to do 10 push-ups a day. So you would uh, yeah. brush your teeth. And then afterwards, I will do 10 push-ups. So you build that habit on top of one that you already have. I love that idea. Do you or your husband do that with any of your lifestyle goals? Um, Usually if we're wanting to add something, I'll usually either try to add it to my morning routine or I'll do it in my evening routine. Cause then it just helps to, you know, really solidify those, those habits and patterns that you already have. Yeah. Uh, which that brings up a great point for people who procrastinate and we all procrastinate things in life. But if, you know, if you're listening and you can really resonate with procrastination as your biggest barrier for, you know, getting through those small steps that are necessary to reach the desired outcome, the earlier you can get it done in the day, (laughs) the more likely you're going to do it because Mm -hmm. I know, so I've never been someone who likes to exercise in the evening. I'm a morning person. I love getting up early. Um, today was kind of a treat. I got to the YMCA for a a 7am class. I normally can't do that. Um, but today I had the opportunity, so I did it. And so I've, you know, I've worked out for the day and I feel great. Uh, Mm -hmm. some people are night owls. They want to, you know, save it till early evening and that's okay. So no, like what is your time of day that, that you really feel the most energized and motivated. And so for me, it's the morning and the evening not at all. Um, but if you're also someone who just finds, you know, little reasons to put things off, do it right after you brush your teeth in the morning or before you go to work in the morning or, you know, whatever it might be. So I love that. Um, Mm -hmm. what about the easy choice mentality? Yeah. The easy choice, um, what's in front of you is what you're going to go for. Right. Um, So it's about making those barriers of entry um, almost non-existent or as little as possible for you. So I'll I'll throw out a couple of examples so you kind of understand what I'm saying. Um, 
and I'm going to go back to, to food because um, it's a good example. So let's say you were wanting to improve the way that you eat, and a part of that was you wanted to eat more fruits in your day. Where are you more likely to grab and eat the fruits? If they're shoved into a crisper where you can't see them, or if they're out on the counter in a bowl. But likely the one in the bowl um, is going to make it the easy choice because it's there, it's in your face. When you're walking into the kitchen because you hung you're hungry and you want a snack, it's right in front of your face and you go, oh, hey, I have this goal to eat fruit. Look what's right in front of me um, versus you have to dig into the crisper. Um, maybe it's you have a piece of fruit that needs prepared and chopped. Um, again, that's going to make your, your barrier a lot larger than if it's the easy choice and in front of you. Um, another example might be non-food related or, or weight loss related would be maybe you had a goal to learn a new instrument. Maybe it was to play the guitar. If that guitar is in a closet, in a bag, in a case, and away from you, likely you're not going to pick it up as often as if it was out um, on a guitar stand in the most um, most um, known place in your room or in your house that you're going to go. Yeah, so for example, yeah. if it's your living room, right? If it's in your living room and it's on that gu guitar stand and it's right there, you'll play it. Um, so, right, if you have your remote control on the coffee table or on the end table, right, you're likely going to pick it up and turn on the TV rather than, you know, play the guitar that's out in your eyesight um, for you to play. Or maybe, Johanna, going back to your goal of reading more books, if your book is out on your coffee table, on your end table, your nightstand, um, you'll be more likely to pick it up and read it and achieve that goal. Yeah, no, that's great. I often think about meal prep and the easy choice mentality. I actually, this is my least favorite part of the whole grocery shopping experience is coming home and taking all the groceries out and putting them away. It's, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just dread it. I don't mind going to the grocery store. I get kind of excited well, well, excited might not be the right word. I don't get that excited to go to the grocery store. I think I did when I was first like on my own as an adult. I was like, oh, I can like buy what I want. I can make my choices. But now that that definitely, that novelty is worn off. But when I come home from the grocery store, I'm always like, oh, I really don't want to chop the vegetables. You know, so usually I'll buy like a sleeve of bell peppers. And like you said, okay, if I have to go to the lengths of chopping them, I'm not just going to grab one and snack on it. But if I get home from the store and I slice it and I put them in a bowl and they're in the fridge, it's just so much more likely that I'm going to not just snack on them, but incorporate them into meals. Yeah. And so for me, it's like the, the produce, it's making sure that the berries are washed and I know they tell you that you shouldn't wash berries because they don't last as long, but I wash my berries when I get them home from the grocery store mm -hmm. because I'd rather eat them <laughs> more conveniently and quickly than have to wash them every time I get them out. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I love the easy choice mentality. And for people in the workplace, you know, is there a candy bowl on your desk or mm -hmm. is there, um, you know, something, clementines are a great uh, example of a fruit that has kind of a longish shelf life and you can put a bowl of those in a break room or on your desk and uh, they're not going to last as long as a wrapped piece of candy but they're going to you know make it more likely that you and anyone who comes by your office or workspace are mm -hmm. going to have fruit instead of you know sugar from you know something that's processed so I love that um okay let's transition to what I call helpers or the things that um we often think are helpful and are helpful 
and the things that uh, we think are helpful, but are maybe not helpful. So um, when I think about my career as a wellness professional, so I was in college in the early 2000s, I have been working in the field for it's it's close to 20 years now. Uh, so just, you know, to put things in perspective, when I started my job at Drake University, it was 2007. So the iPhone was not born yet. The iPhone came out, <clears throat> I think in 2008. So I was still giving people pedometers. <laughs> when we were doing walking programs, people were coming and asking, do you have any pedometers? You know, can I buy a pedometer? And I still remember we bought them in bulk and then people had to pay, uh, I think $10 and we, we mm -hmm. paid the other 10, they were $20 pedometers and it was like a 50, 50 split. So wearables, we've really moved along from pedometers. Uh, but I'm just curious as a wellness professional, what's your opinion and what's your personal experience with, you know, Fitbits, Apple watches, garments, things like that. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, and I'll, I'll share my personal experience as well. Um, it really depends on the person. And for me, I started off by wearing a wearable device. I think I had a Fitbit, um, and a watch and it tracked my steps and it maybe tracked my calories. It was, um, one of the earlier models, I would say, not one of the fancy ones we have now. And it was really helpful at first for me. I enjoyed seeing, you know, how many steps I was taking per day or how much active time or when it would buzz. Um, if I hadn't moved for the hour, that was really helpful for me until at one point it was no longer helpful. And I became pretty obsessed, maybe um, is the word, um, at making sure I was hitting 10,000 steps. Um, and if there were days that I didn't, I would try to get out and go for walks, even if it wasn't conducive in my day. Um, it was just I had to do it um, because there was that that feeling of, yes, I hit that goal. Um, but then I started to realize at the expense of my mental health. And so I realized that what was maybe helpful at one point was no longer helpful because the whatever positives that I did gain from it, it didn't outweigh the negatives that came to my mental health and being kind of. I have to hit these steps or, or else, you know, X. Um, but that's not to say, as I said, it's, it's very um, dependent on the individual, whether it's helpful or harmful. And it maybe starts out as a helpful device, but it maybe could turn into something not so helpful for you anymore. So I think it's about learning from your past experiences and yeah. being okay with if it's working or if it's not working, identifying if that is for you. Yeah. I think wearables can be helpful for benchmarking. So if I'm working with someone and they have no idea how many steps they're getting a day, it can be a really good eye opener, you know, uh, and oftentimes people are not moving as much as they think they're moving. Right. And so I have a friend who she works in a hospital and she had reached out to me. She was like, I just really want to lose weight. And I don't really know how to go about this because I'm already, I'm on my feet all day. You know, I'm working in a hospital. And I said, why don't you get a Fitbit? I just, I would be curious to know how much walking you're actually doing. And she realized, you know, pretty quickly that, oh, I'm on my feet all day, but I'm mostly just standing, you know, I'm not really moving a lot. So then she started you know, taking the stairs instead of the elevator and walking laps around the floors, you know, taking the long way when she had to deliver uh, charts and whatnot. And so for her, it was really good just for an eye-opening benchmarking. You know, this is where I am most days. It's a lot less than I thought. This is what my goal is. Uh, but I can see how wearables can turn into 
you know, unhealthy slash harmful, uh, you know, devices for some people and kind of similar to weight checks. So for people mm -hmm. who are wanting to monitor their weight, I've always been kind of in the, in the school of, you know, if you, there are so many different ways to gauge your physical health. Your weight is one, one measurable. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people know if they're gaining or losing weight based on how they feel, how much energy they have, how their clothes fit. So do you need to weigh yourself every day? I think it would be frustrating. Um, I think it's good for benchmarking, especially if you have a weight loss goal to know where you are and where you want to be and then checking in along the way. But I mean, so many things change from day to day, you know, the time you yes. weigh yourself, um, how much fluid you're retaining. Mm -hmm. I'm just, time of the, like, it, yeah, yeah, if you're a woman, you know, if you're menstruating, so absolutely. Um, are you in the same kind of school of thought with weigh-ins? Yeah, I um, never tell people to, to do a daily weight check-in. Um, I advise against it. Um, even weekly can be. Um, not enough time to see changes, um, you know, appropriately. So I think every other week, even more a monthly is, is where I lean, but um, certainly different for most people. I would never recommend a daily weight check-in. What about health coaching? As someone who has done a lot of health coaching, how can that be helpful for people looking to achieve um, their goals? Yeah, a health coach is great um, to work with. Um, especially if you find someone that you click with, that you relate to, that understands you um, and really focuses on you as the individual and helps you to really come up with your own plan. Um, they can help you with um, being an accountability partner. You can come to them. Um, they can be there to help you check in and stay on track with your goals, but they're also there if say things go awry and you don't meet the goals you set for yourself for the week or the month, they can help you to brainstorm, figure out what were the barriers that came up. Um, they can even help you to, to identify your successes as well, because I think sometimes we focus on the negatives or we focus on what we didn't accomplish versus well, my goal was to work out five days per week, but I only worked out four and a health coach will go, but wait, you worked out four yeah. days this yeah. week. Um, so they hope you to also kind of reframe the way you think about your goals too yeah. and your success. Yeah. Great for accountability. And like you said, you know, if you find someone that you can connect with and they understand kind of your, your goals and your circumstances, that's, that's even better. Uh, when I was adjuncting at Grandview, I remember telling my students who were all uh, in the health promotion, physical education uh, department and degree tracks that, uh, you know, they were earning degrees in you know, health promotion, exercise science that were really valuable. And it gave them a lot of credibility because we were at the time, and this was now, gosh, you know, 2013, 14, 10, you know, 10, nine, eight years ago, uh, social media was was popular, but I feel like a lot has changed <laughs> since, <laughs> since I was adjuncting to Grandview. And there are so many influencers and lifestyle experts and wellness mm -hmm. experts. And the point I tried to make to my students at the time was that, no, but you are an expert. You went to school for this. You are studying this. You are a credible resource. 
but you have to distinguish yourself from all of the other people out there that are quote unquote experts. And so I'm going to, I'm going to say social media is not always helpful. You think you have to be really, really smart about who you follow and who you are getting advice from. Yeah. You have to look into their credentials. Are they sharing that with you? Is it a reliable um, credentialing serve? Like, did they get a degree from a reliable institution, college? Um, do they have a certification from a credible, um, you know, place? Um, sometimes they share that, sometimes they don't. And even if they do share it, I think sometimes with social media and influencing, you go with the crowd, you go with what's popular, what's getting the views, what's getting the like. So even if you are credible, you sometimes fall victim to sharing information that isn't very reliable or good advice. Yeah, absolutely. And then I also just think there's so many things that can be manipulated online. And so mm -hmm. if someone is guaranteeing results, I mean, the word guarantee is always a red flag with whatever it is, if it's a product you're buying, if it's a service you're investing in, uh, but just being smart about, you know, what they're advertising because they're advertising, you know, and just making sure that it is not something that is very, very unlikely and asking you to invest a lot of, of money, mm -hmm. sometimes time in. Uh, one thing that I wanted to just kind of make note of is that, you know, for some people, they need to be under medical supervision if they're making drastic uh, lifestyle changes related to their physical well-being. And so mm -hmm. I know in my work experience, I've coached a couple of people who had significant you know, um, weight loss goals, uh, you know, 200 pounds, you know, to lose 200 pounds is very different than to lose 20 pounds. And so um, oftentimes the, it takes a team of professionals. So it might be a personal trainer, it might be a health coach, a registered dietitian, uh, you know, your, your physician, a mental health counselor, um, you know, a whole team of people to help. And so if you're someone who does live with a chronic health condition, or uh, you just have some concerns about making lifestyle changes, it's never a bad idea. I would say it's always a good idea to consult with a physician mm -hmm. and get, get clearance. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about for people listening is just that emotional mental health dimension. And just knowing that if you're someone who is looking to make lifestyle changes in the new year, but you're struggling to find the motivation, or maybe you have some anxiety around those changes, it is absolutely okay to uh, address those feelings. And oftentimes a great way to get started is by using your EAP benefit. So a lot of our listeners have EFRs, Employee Assistance Program Benefit. And if you're one of them and want to explore uh, your EAP in the new year, call us at 800-327-4692 and we can set you up with services. You can also visit EFR.org and learn all about your benefits that way. But, um, you know, think outside the physical dimension and, you know, addressing your mental health is just as important as addressing your physical health. And if you are someone who is wanting to, um, you know, approach both or you're setting a physical health goal and you're finding it really challenging to kind of reach that desired outcome. Think about as part of the process, um, you know, talking to someone about how you're doing mentally and emotionally. And, and that would be just one of um, the little stepping stones to get you to that desired outcome. But thank you so much for your expertise, Kylie. And any final thoughts or wisdom you want to share with our listeners before we sign off? 
Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, talk and have this conversation with you. Um, my biggest piece of advice is just be, you know, gentle with yourself. Um, you know, be understanding of yourself. If things don't go perfectly, it's okay. Pick it back up where you're at, reevaluate and continue to just focus on, you know, what's important to you and, and fall back on your why. Um, that's really important. So just have some grace with yourself as you're working to make lifestyle changes. Um, it doesn't come easy. Thank you so much. I think that's a great reminder for everyone. And I will remember that myself as I leap into the new year. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunlevy and produced by Emily Wankum.